1: A plan that are now leading us into a one-world communist
2: government. Welcome useless eaters to the Odd Man Out Podcast, where we talk about hidden history, deep political policy, occult deconstruction, economics, religion, and philosophy. I'm your rabbit hole aficionado, the odd man. Welcome.
1: very much, um, Richard, and I am delighted to be here in these new headquarters. Um, I have been often to, uh, I guess, the mothership in New York City, uh, but it's good to have an outpost of the Council right here down the street from the State Department. Uh, we get a lot of advice from the Council, so this will mean I won't have as far to go to uh, be told uh, what we should be doing and uh, how uh, we should uh, think about the future.
3: A special televised meeting of the New York-based Council on Foreign Relations provides a window to the real story. The speaker, Vice President Dick Cheney, takes a question from David Rockefeller.
4: Vice President, uh, I just enjoyed so much your whole speech, but I was particularly pleased that you gave such a strong endorsement for the free trade agreement for all the Americans. Subject has been of great concern to me for many years, and particularly recently, and I think it's absolutely essential for the strength of our economy.
3: Rockefeller's role in the drive for an FTAA was a lot more central than he portrays. Rockefeller cultivated Latin American leaders who could be counted on to support such a proposal. Both the 1994 Miami Summit and the FTAA proposal were conceived and nurtured by a Rockefeller-created network. Prominent among the organizations sponsoring the Miami event were the Council of the Americas, Founder and Honorary Chairman David Rockefeller, The Americas Society, Chairman David Rockefeller, The Forum of the Americas, Founder David Rockefeller, The Institute for International Economics, Financial Backer and Board Member David Rockefeller, The Trilateral Commission, Founder and Honorary Chairman David Rockefeller, Rockefeller's influence also extends to the current administration. He was chairman emeritus of the CFR when Vice President Dick Cheney once served as a director, a relationship that Cheney concealed during his congressional career. It's good to be back at the Council on Foreign Relations. As uh, Pete mentioned, I've been a member for a long time and was actually a director for some period of time. I never mentioned that when I was campaigning for re-election back home in Wyoming. <laughs>
2: After the insiders have established the United Socialist State of America, in fact, if not in name, the next step is the great merger of all nations of the world into a dictatorial world government. The insiders' code word for world superstate is New World Order, a phrase often used by Richard Nixon. The Council on Foreign Relations states in its study number seven, the U.S. must strive to build a new international order. A world government has always been the object of the communists, Gary Allen. The Council on Foreign Relations, or the CFR, took control of the ideological foundations of the American empire, encompassing the corporate, banking, political, foreign policy, military, media, and academic elite of the nation into a generally cohesive overall worldview. By altering one's ideology to that of promoting such an internationalist agenda, The big money that was behind it would ensure one's rise through government, industry, academia, and media. There are divisions within the elite predicated on the basis of how to use American imperial power, where to use it, and on what basis to justify it, and other various methodological differences. The divide amongst the elites was never on the questions of, should we use American imperial power, why has America become an empire, or should there even be an empire? If one takes such considerations to heart and questions these concepts, be it within the foreign policy establishment, intelligence, military, academia, finance, corporate world, or media, chances are such a person is not a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. Andrew Gavin Marshall Kermit Roosevelt said in 1961, Naturally, everyone would like to see world harmony and peace if the United States traded its sovereignty for membership in a world government, what would become of our freedoms as expressed in the Bill of Rights? How would the rulers of this world government be selected? And how could a single central authority equitably govern a planet that is so diversified? Senator Barry Goldwater wrote in his book, With No Apologies... Does it not seem strange to you that these men just happen to be Council on Foreign Relations members and just happen to be on the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve that absolutely controls the money and interest rates of this great country, a privately owned organization which has absolutely nothing to do with the United States of America? Let us face reality. The framers of the Constitution have simply been too shrewd for us. They have outwitted us. They designed separate institutions that cannot be unified by mechanical linkages, frail bridges, or tinkering. If we are to turn the founders upside down, we must directly confront the constitutional structure they erected. James McGregor Burns, Council on Foreign Relations, 1984 The powers of financial capitalism had a far-reaching aim Nothing less than to create a world system of financial control, in private hands, able to dominate the political system of each country, and the economy of the world as a whole. This system was to be controlled in a feudalist fashion by the central banks of the world, acting in concert by secret agreements arrived at in frequent meetings and in conferences... The apex of the system was to be the Bank for International Settlements in Basel, Switzerland, a private bank owned and controlled by the world's central banks, which were themselves private corporations. Each central bank sought to dominate its government by its ability to control treasury loans, to manipulate foreign exchanges, to influence the level of economic activity in the country, and to influence cooperative politicians by subsequent economic rewards in the business world, Carol Quigley. Under the George W. Bush administration in 2005, the CFR and none other than VP candidate for the Libertarian Party last go-around, Bill Weld, and Ted Cruz's wife, Heidi Cruz, drafted a plan for a North American community in which that would put together the United States' canada and mexico it's like a european union if they can get all these different countries to unionize then it would be easier to push them into a world governing body the council on foreign relations has just let the cat out of the bag about what's really behind our trade agreements and security partnerships with the other north american countries a 59 page document spells out a five-year plan for the security community with a common outer security perimeter i.e., wide open U.S. borders between the U.S., Mexico, and Canada at this meeting. President Bush pinned the epithet vigilantes on the volunteers guarding our border in Arizona. The Council on Foreign Relations document calls for a seamless North American market, and for the extension of full labor mobility to Mexico. Adopting a tested-once principle for pharmaceuticals, by which a product tested in Mexico will automatically be considered to have met U.S. standards. Putting illegal aliens in the U.S. Social Security system, which is bound to bankrupt the system. Anybody ever heard of the Cloud piven strategy? A major fund to finance 60,000 Mexican students to study in U.S colleges and supervision by a north american advisory council of eminent persons yes that is one of their plans and of course certain people feel that there should be no limits to who can come across the border well if if you let everybody in and make them citizens this is my argument to libertarians you let all these people in make them citizens probably 90% of those people are not going to vote libertarian, probably 95 98%. So you're letting in a lot of people who are probably going to vote against libertarian ideas and policies. So, you know, there has to be some workaround. If you're, and I get it, the freedom of movement, I get that whole thing, you don't want government to control certain things, but really government was supposed to be the people, which it is not, but it's supposed to be doing the will of the people so if you have people coming in that are going to vote against your own best interests then that seems kind of like shooting yourself in the foot and i am all about letting workers in guest workers and letting them work here and make a living and i know that they do the jobs that most americans won't do and i'm very thankful for that but this is something to look into because the clower piven strategy which was invented by these two professors, to overwhelm the welfare state so they can create a universal basic income, which is where we're leading right now under COVID-19. So I got this information from the Modern History Project website. They have a lot of good information on world government, CFR, Trilateral Commission, and all that stuff. They say the CFR influence in the U.S. government from 1928 to 1972, 9 out of 12 Republican presidential nominees were CFR members. From 1952 to 1972, CFR members were elected 4 out of 6 times during three separate campaigns, both the Republican and Democratic nominees were or had been a member. Since World War II, practically every presidential candidate, with the exception of Johnson, Goldwater, and Reagan, were members. In Senator Goldwater's memoir, with no apologies, he wrote, When a new president comes on board, there is great turnover in personnel, but no change in policy. That's because CFR members have held almost every key position in every administration, from Franklin D. Roosevelt to Bill Clinton. I don't know if I mentioned that quote in the last episode or not, but oh well, it's a pertinent quote. Steve Jacobson said in Mind Control in the United States, which is a good book, really good book on mind control, Political and economic power in the United States is concentrated in the hands of a ruling elite that controls most of U.S.-based multinational corporations, major communication media, and the most influential foundations, major private universities, and most public utilities. Founded in 1921, the Council on Foreign Relations is the key link between the large corporations and the federal government. It has been called a school for statesmen and comes close to being an organ of what C. Wright Mills has called the power elite a group of men similar in interests and outlook, shaping events from invulnerable positions behind the scenes. The creation of the United Nations was a council project, as well as the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank. Jack Newell wrote in Why a Bankrupt America? Its members have run or are running NBC and CBS, The New York Times, The Washington Post, Des Moines Register and many other important newspapers. The leaders of Time, Newsweek, Fortune, Businessweek, and numerous other publications are CFR members. The organization's members also dominate the academic world, top corporations, the huge tax-exempt foundations, labor unions, the military, and just about every segment of American life.
4: We're going to talk a little foreign affairs. He is the president of the Council on Foreign Relations and author of "War of Necessity, War of Choice." Richard Haass has come back to talk to us. There's our expert. How you doing, Richard? Thank you for being here. Okay. So, uh, as we discussed last time, you are the president of the Council of Foreign Relations, which secretly controls the world, I believe.
2: Secretly.
4: (laughs) Secretly. And I saw this picture. Could you show this picture? This is uh, Angelina Jolie holding your book. (laughs) It's amazing. What do you think of that? (laughs) America is a very good country. What what else is going on in that relationship? Anything you could... (laughs) But uh, that's interesting. She's...
2: No, she's a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. Oh, she is. And she's just been to Haiti, and people underestimate her. She does a lot of serious work in drawing attention right. to what's going on in some of the most awful places in the world.
4: And still a hot milf. But uh, <laughs> let's, let's move on. To... Now, Americans, of course, are, are obviously preoccupied, as they should be, because our country is screwed, blue, and tattooed at the moment.
2: In the book... Imperial Brain Trust, the CFR and the United States Foreign Policy, Lawrence H. Shoup and William Minster, write, The planning of the U.N. can be traced to the secret steering committee established by Secretary of State Cordell Hull in January 1943. All of the members of this secret committee, with the exception of Hull, a Tennessee politician, were members of the Council on Foreign Relations. They saw Hull regularly to plan, select, and guide the labors of the State Department's Advisory Committee. It was, in effect, the coordinating agency for all the State Department's post-war planning. Well, the president of the Council on Foreign Relations, Richard Haas, who you heard on Real Time with Bill Maher in that clip, said in 2006... The near monopoly of power, once enjoined by sovereign entities, is being eroded. States must prepare to cede some sovereignty to world bodies. Globalization thus implies the sovereignty is not only becoming weak in reality, but that it needs to become weaker. The goal should be to redefine sovereignty for the era of globalization, to find a balance between a world world, of fully sovereign states and an inna- international system of either world government or anarchy. Yes, they will create as much anarchy or chaos, rather, as they can to make their own order, ordo ab chow, order out of chaos. So I'm telling people, as much as they don't like it, as much as I didn't want to believe it myself, the Council on Foreign Relations works hand in hand with the Pentagon, and they have been behind a lot of the policies of getting us entangled in these foreign debacles that the the founders warned us about. And the reason they did this, and the reason they do this and push it, is because they want to destabilize as much of the world as possible. It has nothing to do with defending Americans' freedom, our borders, because they don't even want us to have borders or the Constitution. They sure as hell don't want us to have a Constitution. It has everything to do with chaos, world chaos, as much of it as they can make, so the sovereign states of the world will eventually give in to global governance. William T. Still said in New World Order, The Ancient Plan of Secret Societies, Roosevelt was surrounded by members of the various communist movements. At the Yalta and the Tehran Conference, where the acquisition of half of Europe by the Soviets was formalized by treaty after Two. Who was Roosevelt's top advisor? Alger Hiss, a member of the Council on Foreign Relations who was later convicted of espionage as a Soviet spy. And James Perloff talks quite a bit about Alger Hiss in his awesome book about the CFR called Shadows of Power. Now, I'm going to be kind of moving around at different times throughout history regarding the Council on Foreign Relations, Uh, and it's just kind of one of those things, it's hard to do it chronologically because I have so many different books and sources, but I don't think it really matters in the end because you guys know, I think I've made a clear enough case that they've worked in nearly every presidential administration, not nearly, in every presidential administration since uh, Woodrow Wilson. So you can understand that we're just going to be jumping throughout history back and forth, and it's cool. So, you know, I'm looking at this book, Psychological Warfare and the New World Order by Servando Gonzalez. This book kicks ass. Anyway, he's talking about the Council on Foreign Relations influence on the military. And, you know, I've talked about that a little bit. I know it's a touchy situation. Because we've been kind of programmed, especially those of us who've come from the more right-leaning side of things, to not question the military whatsoever. And I've tried to make the case since I've started this podcast and my Instagram that I'm not in any way against the military, against the individuals who sign up for the military. I have friends that are veterans, family members that are veterans. But what I am trying to call attention to is the Pentagon, the DOD, and the higher-ups that are involved in the military-industrial complex. And what you have to understand is it's part of the swamp. So if right-wingers would understand, traditionally right-wingers, at least the voters, have been more individually-minded, except when it comes to the military and the police. Um, Although they have had a history of being against the ATF and a couple other agencies. But if they would apply the same amount of skepticism to the DOD as they would the welfare state and other different agencies within the federal government, they would understand that it's all a big swamp and it's all a big bureaucracy. And a lot of these people do not have their best interests in mind and they're only trying to... They're only trying to do things that benefit them and these institutions like the Council on Foreign Relations, Bilderberg, Atlantic Council, and the like that will benefit all of those, right? So anyway, I just wanted to put that out there because some people really are sensitive about that, and I've gotten into it with several people over the years online who think any criticism of the DOD or the Pentagon is an unpardonable sin that you are a traitor and i try to point out to them hey wait a minute i'm actually standing up for the constitution what the founders said about foreign entanglements and large standing armies and different things that have been a threat to free people throughout history but people have been at least since uh, world war 1 when woodrow wilson Created the Committee on Public Information, which I talk about a lot, and I know you guys probably get tired of hearing it, but that's such a big deal to me because he created a government agency just to propagandize the American citizens, and of course, you hear things about fake news all the time now. That whole agency was formed to create fake news and sway the American people into sacrificing their sons and sacrificing their efforts, money towards going into World War One, And that's what the bankers wanted. Because as we talked about in the last episode, uh, the bankers thrive on war. But anyway, get Getting back to Servando Gonzalez's book, he talks about the military and the CFR, and he says the CFR's fifth column inside the armed forces. The results of this CFR effort of systematic infiltration of the U.S. military has brought results far beyond expectations. As of 2006, there was 124 senior officers of the three branches of the U.S. Armed Forces with confirmed membership in the CFR. Today, most likely, the number is higher. U.S. Armed Forces officers, members of the Council on Foreign Relations 2006. Now, I won't go into that because he goes through all of these officers, their names, their ranks, how long they served, how long they were in the CFR. And it's just too long to do on a podcast. It would get really boring. He goes from 2006 all the way down to, let's see here. This is long. It's a lot of names. A lot of names. To 1995. So that's a a long time. He says, Is this list above just a collection of good old boys that have sold their soul to the CFR conspirators in order to get their stars? We can only guess. What we know for sure, however, is that the bad boys who honor their oath of allegiance to the U.S. Constitution and don't play the CFR conspirators game do not advance their careers. And some of them are even demoted. And this was the case of a three-star general named John Riggs who lost a star as a result of publicly criticizing Donald Rumsfeld's CFR party line. Speaking in 1991 at the Secret Bilderberg meeting in Baden-Baden, Germany, CFR key conspirator David Rockefeller proudly mentioned his treasonous work undermining the constitutional principles of this country. He said, The world is now more sophisticated and prepared to march towards a world government. The supranational sovereignty of an intellectual elite and world bankers is surely preferable to the national autodetermination practiced in past centuries. It is highly disturbing, to say the least, That 124 high-ranking active-duty and retired officers of the U.S. military are publicly showing their divided loyalties by being active members of an organization whose openly expressed ultimate goal is nothing less than the elimination of the United States of America as a sovereign nation. And that's what I've been saying. So many of these top military leaders are in the Council on Foreign Relations. You can see them talking at the Council on Foreign Relations they are following the strategies of the Council on Foreign Relations members. They speak out against the presidents at the Council on Foreign Relations in their foreign affairs magazine that you anyone can go on and read. It's just a... If, if you want to talk about traitors, I mean, I don't think it gets much more traitorous than these guys. Uh, unless you're a spy and you're directly spying for another country. I mean, it's just... It's outright treasonous to do what they do. Moreover, he says. It is very difficult to understand why a select group of senior officers of the U.S. Armed Forces who voluntarily took without mental reservations an oath to serve and protect the U.S. Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic, belong to an organization whose most senior members have openly expressed their goal of abolishing the U.S. government and the Constitution. The public record shows that the Council on Foreign Relations is one of the most anti-American organizations in the world. Senior CFR members have openly expressed on unaccountable occasions their intentions to erode and dismantle the U.S. Constitution and destroy the U.S. sovereignty. They plan to accomplish this by first fusing the U.S. with Mexico and Canada into a North American Union. And, yeah, that's the one that I talk about where Heidi Cruz, Ted Cruz's wife, and Bill Weld, ex-Libertarian VP, helped draft, okay, a freaking, how he got to run for the Libertarian VP nomination, I'll I'll never know. I I really worry about uh, that party being infiltrated. He goes on to say, Finally creating the North American Union from Alaska to Patagonia under the political and military control of global government they call the New World Order, which, of course, the CFR conspirators plan to control. Moreover, how can one explain that many senior officers belong to an organization whose senior members despise the U.S. military? Henry Kissinger, a senior CFR member and one of its most outspoken mouthpieces, and he also is a Bilderberg member and a trilateral committee member, but he expressed in stark clarity the conspirators' opinion of the American military men who unwittingly have been exposing their lives to advance the conspirators' anti-American global agenda. According to investigative journalists Woodward and Bernstein, Kissinger, in the presence of CFR member General Alexander Haig, pointedly referred to military men as dumb, stupid animals to be used as pawns for foreign policy. Ugh. But Kissinger is not the only CFR agent who despises American soldiers. In an article about some generals who criticized CFR secret agent and Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld, author David Margolick exposed Rumsfeld's lack of respect for the senior officers under his command and how he humiliated them on multiple occasions. Gonzalez goes on to talk about how the CFR kind of infiltrated the CIA, but I would just add that Dulles was appointed the first CIA director, and he was a CFR member. So it seems like it was just right from the start that uh, those two kind of shared members, and it was just one of those things that kind of has worked together ever since in many ways. Of course, we don't know what all that one agency is really even does because of the secrecy, but a lot of the things we do know about them seems to be similar to the goals of the CFR. That's why it's important. The people running
1: this country are determined to destroy it.
2: The council was heavily criticized during the 1980s for being an organization hell-bent on destroying national sovereignty in favor of a world government, so many of its members hid their association with the organization.
1: Now, you are the president of the Council on Foreign Relations, all right? Yes, sir. You guys toy with the with countries of the world like, uh, like, well, like toys, don't you? You're like the Illuminati, you're the masons, you control everything, don't you? That's the wrap on you
2: guys. What's so interesting now, though, is who's on the chessboard. It's the toys, if you will, are a lot more than states. Okay, I'm going to read you a couple excerpts from Daniel Eschelin's The True Story of Bilderberg, which is a fantastic book. It tells you the history of Bilderberg, Council on Foreign Relations, as well as the Trilateral Commission. He says, William Bill Bundy, the man hired by Langer, was responsible for drafting the Tonkin Gulf Resolution. He was also an editor of the Council on Foreign Relations Foreign Affairs magazine. Furthermore, Bill Bundy was CFR Dean Acheson's son-in-law. Acheson's law partner was Donald Hiss. Brother of the Soviet spy Alger Hiss. In the late 1940s, the Polish Communist Party hired Acheson's law firm to help win U.S. recognition. It was Acheson, the former Secretary of State, along with the aforementioned Walt Rostow, who persuaded Johnson to escalate the Vietnam War. The Council on Foreign Relations uses tax-free foundations as its principal conduits to funnel money into favorable policy-making processes. Thomas R. Dye stated that nearly 40% of all foundation assets were controlled by the top 10 or 11 foundations, who in turn were controlled by the Council on Foreign Relations. Furthermore, the directors or trustees have great latitude in directing the use of foundation monies to underwrite research, investigative social problems, or create or assist universities to establish think tanks, endow museums, and etc.
5: Look at the Council on Foreign Relations. Many members, in fact, the majority, never serve on the executive committees. They never go through any initiation of any kind. They are, in fact, the power base and are used to gain a consensus of opinion. The majority are not really members, but are made to feel as if they are. In reality, they are being used and are unwilling or unable to understand. They may have been or may be members of the Christian or Jewish religion, but that is only to further their own ends. They are and always have been Luciferian and internationalist. They give allegiance to no particular nation, although they have used on occasion nationalism to further their causes. Their only concern is to gain greater economic and political power the ultimate objective of the leaders of both groups is identical. They are determined to win for themselves undisputed control of the wealth, natural resources, and manpower of the entire planet. They intend to turn the world into their conception of a Luciferian totalitarian socialist state. In the process, they will eliminate all Christians, Jews, and atheists. You have just learned one, but only one, of the great mystery.
2: The State Department Publication 7227, CFR, Special Groups, Secret Teams, and its War and Peace Studies have all had a tremendous impact on world geopolitics. Yet these events and behind the scenes maneuverings are still not reported. Why is the role of the Council on Foreign Relations in sponsoring and carrying out these actions and operations ignored in modern history texts? Why aren't there any universities, the hub of American liberalism, offering courses on one of America's most influential and oldest private organizations, one molding United States foreign policy to its private agenda? Why haven't Pulitzer Prize-winning investigative reporters, university professors, historians, authors, statesmen, politicians, and researchers noticed the evolution towards a one-world government? Socrates, at least, would have been appalled. The human being investigates and thereby learns. Any topic is grist for a thinker. Is the public's lack of intellectual curiosity a symptom of the mental pacification to come? I acknowledge that it is difficult for people to believe that the CFR is a secret organization with ulterior motives. When the Council offers a copy of its annual report containing a list of all the members, plus invites the public to subscribe to the Council's publication called Foreign Affairs, as well as browse through its website, there it is explained that the CFR's International Privacy Board consists of 40-odd members chosen from Europe, North and South America, Africa, Asia, and the Middle East, and that they are invited to comment on institutional programs and strategic directions, and on practical opportunities for collaboration between the Council and institutions abroad. People want to go to
1: the members of the Council on Foreign Relations and say, are you guys really planning world government and loss of sovereignty and so much? Of course not. Are you really planning to... Uh, Merge America? I mean, the United States with Canada and Mexico? Absurd. This is just part of the game, and you must understand it. Now, world government doesn't just happen by writing some articles or books. Uh, Only when people are in control of power centers of society can they bring about massive changes like this. Not scholarship, but power not public opinion, but power. Power is the key, and the power centers of society are what amalgamate and give these people power over their citizens. Now, how this came about, uh, Quigley describes this, it's very interesting what he says. How did this come about? He said, through Lord Milner's influence, these men were able to win influential posts in government, in international finance, and become the dominant influence in British imperial affairs, and foreign affairs, up to 1939. In 1909 through 1913, they organized semi-secret groups known as round table groups, we're covering the same ground here again, in the chief British dependencies and the United States. These still function in eight countries. The task was given to Lionel Curtis, who established in England and each dominion a front organization to the existing local round table group. This front organization, called the Royal Institute of International Affairs, had as its nucleus in each area the existing submerged roundtable group. In New York, it was known as the Council on Foreign Relations and was a front for J.P. Morgan and Company. All right. At last we come to this ubiquitous Council on Foreign Relations. Hearing more and more about it. Even increasingly now on the news, you'll say, and here is a word from so-and-so from the Council on Foreign Relations office. And the average uh, gum-chewing public says, huh, that sounds good, I wonder what that's all about. So increasingly, this phrase, CFR, Council on Foreign Relations, is becoming more and more uh, at least common. People don't know what it is, but they've heard it. So it's no longer frightening when they hear it. So we are informed by Quigley and others that the Council on Foreign Relations was spawned by a secret society which still exists today that is a front for a roundtable group originally embodied in J.P. Morgan and Company but now the Rockefeller Consortium and that its primary goal is no longer the expansion of the British Empire but global collectivism with control in private hands, administered in a feudalist fashion by the central banks of the world. Now, ladies and gentlemen, these are their words, not mine.
2: And there you have it, my friends. The end of Illuminated Institutions, the CFR, equals NWO Part 2. And you can see from all of our studies which often my shows do mention the Council on Foreign Relations, that they are the premier institute, the the premier think tank, the premier policy institution that influences our government and governments of the world. Yes, they have numerous different institutions under the Council on Foreign Relations, and the Royal Institute of International Affairs all over the world, and the bigwigs of industry, government, military, media, and academia, and we cannot forget their mighty, mighty corporate members. Yes, so I would encourage you to go look at CFR.org, go through their member list, and then go through their corporate member list. Look at their board of directors. Do your own research. They control so much of what happens. They're not the only one. They're not the only institute. They have other institutes that are connected to them. And not every institute, of course, is connected to them, but many are. And many very powerful, very influential, very crafty and intelligent people work for this institute as well as others. And they believe, at least most of them, I think, believe that they're doing what's right because they are the giants in their fields. And so they are only wanting what's best for mankind. And I'll go back to the fact that they have worked hand-in-hand with the Pentagon, the Department of Defense, for decades. And their main goal is disarmament, the end of state sovereignty, and world government. So why would our military, our Department of Defense, our Pentagon, work with them? Well, you have to answer that question in your own mind and heart. The military-industrial complex and all these corporate memberships involved with the Council are extremely powerful and they control what happens in our world. No, it's not just the simple Democrat versus Republican that we're led to believe. And so, as we end this, I want to say that I will be doing a Part 3 at some point, and when I do, I want to get into each presidential administration since the Council on Foreign Relations creation and kind of look at the numbers of important people Have been in each one of those administrations, as well as the council and the Trilateral Commission, as well. So that's pretty much all I got for this one, guys. It's a little bit shorter than the normal episodes, but uh, we packed a lot in there. And I appreciate you listening. If you have any questions or any comments, please feel free to get a hold of me, underscore the odd man out on Instagram, as long as I'm on there. Then uh, on Facebook, it's Facebook.com, the oddcast FT, the Odd man out. So, please do get a hold of me. I appreciate everything that you guys have sent me, and I appreciate the support as always. And if you feel led to, just give me some stars. Five would be great. Until then, please go check out my older episodes. Uh, This is actually the second episode this week, so check out the one before that. And um, check out The Boiler Room on AlternateCurrentRadio.com. I'm on there quite a bit, and they have other great shows. And uh, there's plenty of stuff out there to listen to, my friends, so I, as always, appreciate you taking your time to listen to me. I'll talk to you later. Cheers and blessings to you all.
0: Apostles can join me